go ahead, turn your Bibles um, to Acts chapter 2. We're going to be reading this morning verses 29 through 41. Before I call Mark Owens up to read for us. Oh, sorry, Mark, you're getting ready to come. Um, you can come if it's all right, if you want to. Um, uh, as Mark comes up to read for us out of Acts chapter 2, um, let me give us a quick um, understanding of where we're at. This is uh, entering into the middle of Peter's sermon that he is giving on the day of Pentecost after Jesus has gone to be with the Father. So after he died, after he rose from the dead, after he spent time with his disciples, he's now gone up to heaven. The disciples have received the Holy Spirit, and Peter is now about to share a, a, a message or sermon to the people of Israel on the day of Pentecost. And we're going to see what happens in that moment as we read Acts chapter 2, verses 29 through 41. So would you please stand with me out of respect for God's word? And then now, Mark, I'll go ahead and turn it over to you, brother, to read for us out of Acts chapter 2. Good morning, friends. Acts chapter 2, verses 29 through 41. Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on the throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the, disciples, of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized and there were added to that day about 3,000 souls. Lord, may you bless the reading of your word. Please be seated. Amen. Thank you, Mark. Church, pray with me as we begin our time. Father, we thank you for your word. Um, I just love this text because it is such a, uh, an amazing text to remind us of the power and the work of your gospel and of your spirit that 3,000 souls were added to this, to, to your kingdom on this day. And, and since that day, millions have been added to your kingdom. Um, all the way up into this day, which is full of prayerfully a room in, in this space and those listening online, many who are yours. And what a blessing it is to be a part of that, 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 that legacy, a part of that history of, the, of your work and your kingdom coming into this world but Lord, we also recognize that this has been given to us as a reminder of, of what happened as those people put their faith in you, that they had to continue to walk in you, 
to continue to follow you. And they were baptized into your name and what that means and the significance of that moment and that event. And, and Father, as we talk about that in particular today, Lord, I, I pray that you would speak through me a very weak vessel. Father, that we would see the glories of what you have given to us in baptism, what you've given to us in, in one of the, the great ordinances of your church. I pray, Lord, that for those of us who have been baptized, that you would stir in us a zeal to understand the glory of what we have experienced and seen. Father, I pray for those who have not been baptized, those who have not put their faith in you, would you stir in their hearts a passion and a desire to see you for who you really are and, and to follow you. Lord, I pray that you would use this time to your glory, for your people, for your name. We ask and pray all these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. It was a long time ago, um, I don't know, it was probably five, four, six, seven months ago, I really started to feel like the Lord was laying on my heart uh, a, a desire and, and a feeling that we needed to uh, talk about something very specific in, in baptism and, and talk about what baptism is and how important baptism is, something that is literally some anchored into church history that's been being done for 2,000 years, actually since even before Jesus came. Like baptism has been part of uh, the work of God's people for all this time. And yet oftentimes within the church, as I've seen and as I've grown in the church, I've been a part of the church. And even as we've participated in baptisms here at Central and we celebrate those, oftentimes there's a temptation for us to either wait, put way too much emphasis on baptism to where it becomes something that saves us, which it doesn't, which we're talking about, or way too little emphasis upon baptism where it's something that just doesn't really matter that much. Like it's just a, it's just a symbol and it doesn't make much difference and it's really not all that important. And yet I look at the word of God and I see that baptism is a profoundly important and beautiful, beautiful thing that is given to the church. And I wanna help and, and communicate that this morning in my prayer this morning, whatever your history with baptism is, that you would walk away this morning understanding that baptism is about following Jesus. Baptism is about discipleship. It is about dying to ourselves. It is about the work that Jesus has done. It is serious. It is beautiful. And millions of our brothers and sisters have participated in it for thousands of years. Because it is so important to the church, it should never, ever be thought lightly of and I feel like knowing that we're a part of a non-denominational church, we're all coming from different spaces, we needed to make sure that we all understand, and as elders, that, that we've taught what baptism truly is. And as we enter into this, though, I also understand that I need to speak real quickly to three different groups of people. First, for those of you who've been baptized, you may simply think to yourself, oh, I've already been baptized. I don't, I don't need to talk about baptism. Like this is, I, I'm past that space. And here's what I would challenge you in this morning, if that's you. Baptism, oftentimes, is something that we don't fully grasp when we process and we go through it. And it is something that is intended to be a part of our lives. And my challenge and encouragement to you is to listen to this this morning in a way that might help give you a better understanding of something you've already experienced. I actually intended on bringing a visual aid this morning. Uh, I was already, actually got one from my mom, um, and I forgot to bring it. But I don't know if you've ever been to one of those, like, rock souvenir stores in Colorado where you have a rock and it's like kind of just looks like a stone on the outside. Uh, but then uh, you, you, you break it in half and on the inside of the rock, um, it's like this beautiful amethyst or crystal, right? 
a lot of us have been baptized and we carry around a rock, but we don't realize the beauty of what is inside of it. Like we don't realize some of the beauty and the, the, the profound realities and truths that are attached to that baptism. And my prayer for those of you here in this room that have been baptized, that as you listen to this and as you engage and as you see the word of God, and as you hear the truth of what it really is, man, like it will become a beautiful gem to you, your baptism. And that in the future, when you see other baptisms, it'll remind you of that. It'll stir you to new life. It'll stir you to walk in a newness of life that God has done in you. And it will also help you to celebrate baptism in a more profound way, but maybe even allow you to be able to communicate what baptism is about to those that may not understand. And so if you've been baptized, this is still for you. This is still for me. This is for all of us who have been baptized, but also for those who have not been baptized. Since you placed your faith in Jesus, I want to pray and hope that this morning would lead you to consider baptism. That walking in obedience to baptism is an important and real significant moment in the Christian faith and a Christian walk. I want to encourage you to ponder why you haven't stepped into that obedience. And thirdly, for those who have not placed your faith in Jesus, who have never said, like the people in the text that we read this morning, what should I do? When you recognize who you are and and sin that you have, my prayer for you, if you've never put your faith in Jesus, that you might be stirred to do that this morning. So that's what we're going to do today as we talk about baptism. Now, the question is, let's jump right in. What does baptism signify? What does it signify? You think, well, this is an easy answer. Well, I don't think it is an easy answer because a lot of us didn't grow up in Jewish synagogues in the first century. See, here's the thing about baptism. Baptism is not a new thing that Jesus brings about. Baptism was anchored into the Old Testament and in the Mishnah, uh, the oral tradition of the law that the Israelites totally understood. And so when John the Baptist came on the scene in the first century and was baptizing people, people weren't looking at John going like, what is this strange thing you're doing dipping people in water? When Jesus was baptized in the Jordan River, people weren't going, what is this strange thing that this man is doing in the Jordan River? When these 3,000 souls in Acts chapter 2 were told to repent and be baptized, they didn't say, why? Why go through this weird ritualistic symbol? Because they understood and they knew what baptism was about in a way we don't because we didn't grow up in that space. And so baptism is all over the Old Testament. We just don't always see it because they don't use the Greek word baptismo in the Old Testament. They use words like washing. They use words like purification. They use words like mikvah and all these different things that are in the Old Testament and in the Jewish law to understand something that they would have totally known in that day. So why would they understand this? And how would they understand it? And what does baptism mean? It's rooted in something very real, very historical, very Jewish. And Jesus does not start baptism. Jesus fulfills baptism. He completes baptism. He clarifies baptism. And he ultimately establishes a new type of baptism that is beautiful. So why would someone be baptized? Well, first and foremost, 
they would be baptized for purification. Now, if you're using the U version of our notes and for the apps there, you're going to find that these points are a little different. They mean the same thing, but I changed them this morning. So our team didn't have time to change them, so you can just write a little note on the side. But baptism signifies purification. Now, what does that mean? In the Old Testament, you see a very robust understanding of what is unclean versus clean. There's a real understanding of God's holiness. And so when people would come to the Lord, they understood that they needed to be concerned about whether they were clean or unclean because God was so holy, so pure, so beautiful, so perfect, they knew they couldn't just flippantly walk into the presence of God through the temple or the tabernacle without being concerned about their cleanliness. And so all over the Old Testament, in places like Numbers 19, you see where people would defile themselves, whether it's through a sinful act or they would touch a dead body or they would do all these different things and they would have to be purified. They would have to be washed. They would have to be cleansed. So they would often step into a place of what they would call living waters to be cleansed and purified. Now, here's what we know. We know that if you're sinful and you recognize you're unclean, water does not take away your sin. But for the people of Israel in the Old Testament, it was an acknowledgement and a recognition. It was a confession of sorts that I'm unclean. I, I can't just walk into the presence of the Holy One of God. I, I can't just come into that without, without considering that. And so what would happen is if people recognized they were unclean, as they even came to worship, then they would be purified. They would have to walk through a cleansing. And so they would walk through what they call mikvah baths. This is actually a picture of a mikvah bath. Uh, I took this uh, when I was David Mann and Jim Martin in Israel a couple years ago. This is a mikvah bath that would have existed in Jesus' days at the temple. And on the left, you can see the remains of it, and you can kind of see a picture on the right of what it would have looked like. And so say you're a worshiper, and you're coming to church, and you realize you're unclean. You would walk down one side of those steps, and you would walk through the water, immerse yourself in the water, and then you would walk out the other side of the steps. And the signification was, now I've been cleaned, I've been washed from my uncleanliness. Like you would do this. This was just part of it. And so you would be baptized. People would be baptized for purification so they could come before the Lord. But that wasn't the only reason that people in the Old Testament would be baptized. They would also be baptized for consecration. Now that's a big church word. I don't doubt any of us used the word consecration this week in our day-to-day -day lives. Here's what it means, set apart. That's what it means. So it's the idea of taking something that is common and using it for something that is set apart, unique, holy. So, for example, Samuel, a young man, would have been consecrated to the Lord's service as a prophet. He said, like, listen, I'm not going to do what is common. I am only going to be a man of God's service. I'm going to be consecrated and set apart only to the service of God, only to the ministry of God. A priest would be consecrated only to the ministry of God. Like a priest wouldn't be, have to go about doing the normal things like fishing and, and carpentry and all those types of things. They, they, they were given all that provision through the temple sacrifices, but they were consecrated only to do the work of God. And so if you were going to be set apart, you would be baptized into that service. There's a wonderful picture of this in the New Testament when Jesus is baptized at the Jordan River. 
Ever wonder why Jesus never did ministry prior to being baptized? Because when he goes into the Jordan River, and there's other symbolism there too that goes back to Elijah and Elisha, but when he is baptized in the Jordan River, it is the signification that his ministry is beginning. He's being set apart to, to the ministry of God's work, and God speaks through the Holy Spirit that comes down and says, this is my son, whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. He is consecrated to my service. This is a beautiful picture of what, what Jesus was doing and so many people would do. Set him apart for something very specific. It's why his ministry started immediately after that. So in the Old Testament, you would be baptized sometimes to be purified. Sometimes you would be baptized to be consecrated or set apart. And sometimes you would be baptized as a transfer. You say, what does that mean? Well, let me give you another Old Testament example. Many of you may know the story of Ruth. Ruth was not an Israelite. Ruth was a Moabite. That's not a, a, a person of God. It's not that one of the chosen people of God. In fact, it's kind of the opposite of the chosen people of God. And I won't give you the whole story, but Ruth ultimately ended moving from Moab to Israel with her mother-in-law, Naomi, after her husband dies. And there's a moment where Ruth had to decide that she was going to put away all of her Moab, Moabiteness. I don't know how you say that, but you get the point, right? And she had to put away all of her identity. I'm no longer going to serve a pagan God. I'm going to serve the one true God. I'm never, no longer going to be called a Moabite. I'm now going to be called an Israelite. I am now going to identify myself holy with the people of God, and God is my God. She would have been baptized. That was for proselytes. It's a word that we use. Someone who's going from that moment uh, of being a Moabite to saying, no, I am going to become a person, uh, uh, an Israelite. And what's fascinating, even with the story of Ruth, is she is in the lineage of Jesus, our Messiah, the Christ. And so what she happened is she would be baptized into that. It was a symbol that she was getting a new identity, that the old identity was washed away, and she's coming out of those steps, kind of imagine that, as a new creation, a new person, a new citizen. So people would be baptized for purification. Sometimes they would be baptized for consecration. Sometimes they would be baptized as a transfer. Fourthly, they would be baptized for submission, a term that we love. But in those days, if you were growing up in first century Israel, you would grow up in a family that would be underneath a rabbi. Now, again, that's a word that's churchy, and so you may not be familiar with that. A rabbi was a teacher, but not like a high school teacher. This is a teacher who had authority over you, authority over your family. This teacher had authority uh, morally over you, legally over you, and spiritually over you. You were submitted to this rabbi. And what a rabbi would do, or a teacher in those days, was he would be in a specific um, school or thought of, of interpreting the Old Testament and in the law. So basically, you would say that I'm going to follow the way this rabbi interprets the Old Testament, interprets Ezekiel and Isaiah, and how then I should live in accordance with that. And if I step outside of that, I'm under his authority. He can call me out. He can tell me how to live. Now... What would happen is say, for example, I hear another rabbi and I think, oh man, I think that rabbi has a better grasp on the law. 
I think that that school of thought has a, is, is more accurate way of understanding the, the Old Testament and how to live that out. And you say you wanted to transfer your submission from one rabbi to another. Guess what you would do? You would be baptized. In fact, what you would do is you would get baptized in the name of your new rabbi. And so when Jesus is saying to be baptized in my name, that's what he's talking about. He's, he's a rabbi. He's a teacher. And he's saying, listen, you are, you're being baptized in my name. You're basically saying that I am forsaking all other authority in my life, and I am submitting to the legal, moral, and spiritual authority of my new rabbi, my new teacher, my new leader. He now gets to tell me everything, and I have to abide by him because he's my rabbi. I'm born in his name. We see this in the New Testament. This was even a challenge for the people in the early church. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1. It says, For it has been reported to me, this is Paul speaking, by Chloe's people, that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each of you says, I follow Paul, or I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? The answer is no. They were baptized in the name of Christ. What was happening was they were saying, well, I, I follow this teaching, I follow that teaching. And Paul's saying, no, you follow Jesus. You don't follow Darren. You don't follow Pastor David Mann. You don't follow We Merit. You don't follow Todd. You don't follow any of us. You follow Jesus. I am a servant of Jesus. You are a servant of Jesus. Not like he's my head, he is your head. We are all submitted to one Lord because we were baptized into the name of Jesus. He is our rabbi. He is our teacher. He's legally, morally, and spiritually our boss. Sometimes that rubs us the wrong way, doesn't it? But this is what the gospel is about. It's submitting ourselves to the lordship of Jesus Christ in our lives. Now, the baptism of Jesus, it takes these ideas and it wraps them into the event of his death, burial, and resurrection, signifying a spiritual work. It signifies a spiritual cleansing. It signifies a spiritual consecration. It signifies a spiritual transfer, a transfer from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. It signifies a spiritual transfer to the true rabbi. It does so by signifying that we are united to him in a death like his, that we might be raised up to new life in Jesus. This is what Paul says in Romans chapter 6. We were buried, therefore, with him in baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. Now think about what that means. Think about what the newness of life means. See, in Christ, we're truly purified by faith. In Christ, we are truly set apart. Like, you now have a purpose and a reason to exist that was totally different before you met Jesus. You've been consecrated as a, as a priest, as a chosen person. You've been purified, you've been set apart. You have been fully transferred from the kingdom of darkness to a kingdom of light. Amen? Like, this is amazing. Like, baptism is awesome. 
all through the work of Jesus dying and being raised up again. Like he's our Lord. But what's fascinating about it, in all of this, it signifies that we too have to die. See, when you go underneath the water, it's a signification that you went in an American, you come out one of God's chosen. Like that, that can be kind of hard for us, can't it? The thing is, it says, I went in doing the things I want to do, my way, my authority for morals and legal and spiritual life. I, I come in dead to that, and I'm going to raise it up to only go to him for that. I'm a, I, I go in doing what I want to do. I come out doing what he only wants me to do. Like, this is all about death. Like, life comes through death. Our life comes through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, and the life we've called to live now comes through our death, and it's symbolized in baptism. And it is a spiritual thing. It's a beautiful thing. So since all this is a spiritual reality, and it's based on faith, why the symbol? I mean, just think about that. If we would say that baptism doesn't save us, but it's the work of Jesus that purifies us, amen? It's the work of Jesus on the cross that, that consecrates us and sets us apart. It's the work of Jesus that transfers us from the, spirit, the, the, the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. It's the work of Jesus uh, that, that leads us into the new way. Why do I have to get baptized for that? Well, it's a good question. Why do we emphasize this moment? Why is it a mo an important moment for us in the church? Well, first and foremost, it is our Ebenezer. And I don't mean Scrooge. And say, what in the world does Ebenezer mean? Like you've sung about it and come thy founts and a few songs like that. What is Ebenezer? Well, Ebenezer is a Hebrew word, which means rock of help. We see it specifically in the book of Samuel. Look at that with me. First Samuel chapter seven, verse 12. Samuel took a stone and he set it up between Mizpah and Shen. And he called its name Ebenezer. For he said, till now the Lord has helped us. Now, what is Samuel doing? And why in the world is this important? Well, it's an altar of remembrance. It's an Ebenezer. Samuel knew that God's people are forgetful. We have really short-term memories, don't we? We need tangible things to help us remember what God has done in our history, in our lives. So imagine that Ebenezer. So Samuel sets up this rock between Mizpah and Zen, wherever that's at. Um, David probably knows. I don't. Um, but there's this rock here. And now generation has gone by. And another generation has gone by. And I'm walking with my grandkid. And we're walking. And my grandchild says, hey, hey, grandpa, what's that rock mean? And I get to say, ooh, here's what that rock means. You know what that rock means? That rock explains and tells us about all that God has done in this specific moment in history that was put there, that was really put there in a moment when God stepped in and did miraculous works and amazing things. It's an altar of remembrance. It helps us to remember. It doesn't make the event more real, but it helps bring us back to the event they're all over the Old Testament, these Ebenezers. And they're so important. We need them in our lives. Would we forsake something that God has told us we need? Show you a picture. This is one of my favorite places on earth. 
this is Marseille, France. I took this picture uh, on a sunset one evening in Marseille, and, and here's why I love this picture. It's an Ebenezer for me. This picture means so much more than a sunset image in Marseille, because in this season, it was, I was with my family, and we were participating in a wonderful frontline ministry work with North Africans. We were seeing God move in miraculous ways. We were seeing him answer prayers. We were seeing people come to faith in Jesus. We were seeing Bibles go into North Africa, into Algeria, and Tunisia. And when I look at that picture, it all rushes back. The smells. I can remember that night when I took it. I remember the small group time that we had before I went out that night to take pictures where we were celebrating all that God has done. I remember it. I smell it. I can feel it. I, I, I can smell a fish and I can, I can feel the, the wind on my face and the, the, the sun on my skin. Like That picture anchors me to that moment when I don't want to forget, when I might be tempted to forget. Baptism anchors us to a moment. It gives us something tangible to remind us when we are tempted to doubt, when we are tempted to despair, when we begin to slide and we need a brother or sister call us back to something. Baptism becomes a moment to anchor us to the promises of God as our rock of help. It helps us to fix our eyes on him. And all of us who witness baptism can help bring us back to the faithfulness of our confession. So here's how that plot works. When we get to witness somebody be baptized, you become a part of their story. And here's why you become a part of their story. You now have a responsibility. When you see them not living in accordance with the being set apart the way that they were by Christ, you get to call them back and say, don't you remember when you confessed that you were set apart now through Christ. When you see someone walking in sin and, and, and you know and they, that one day in their history they confessed that they were trusting in the blood of Jesus Christ to purify them for sin, you get to come to them and say, listen, brother or sister, like why are you walking around in the mud when you confessed your trust that Jesus paid for that? You, that's not my confession, that's your confession. You didn't in front of everybody. You got wet when you didn't want to. And the water was cold. We shouldn't make it warm. We should make it cold just so we remember it, right? Like, you confessed that. Like, you're the one that confessed that you give Jesus lordship of your life. Why are you saying you refuse to listen to him? You say, I, I want to sleep with my boyfriend and girlfriend. Okay, fine. You're refusing to listen to your king. You told everybody in the church you were submitted to your king. See, baptism gives us a moment to bring ourselves back and to anchor ourselves back to a moment. It doesn't make the moment more real. That picture of Marseille didn't make that moment more real, but it reminds me of it. It anchors me to it. Baptism helps involve every single part of our lives in a confession that should be worked out in every single part of our lives. Not only is it an Ebenezer, but it is a spiritual thing. It is an emotional thing. It is a physical thing. Like there is a mystery to baptism that I can't quite put my finger on. I can't quite fully understand. But when you go in that water, something spiritual happens. Like it's, it's just, it's, it's an amazing thing that God is doing. 
but it involves us all. It's an emotional moment. It's a physical moment. Brothers and sisters, you are body, soul. You are everything. God has made you to be. Mind, everything. Baptism incorporates all of that into one moment to remind us of the work that Jesus has done. Baptism doesn't save, but it engages the full person in the decision that we are making to follow Jesus. Remember I said that baptism is about following Christ. It's about discipleship. And there's something profound and beautiful about baptism and confessing to all of God's people I've been purified. Confessing to all of God's people, I've been set apart. I've been transferred. Confessing to all of God's people, he's my Lord. I've died to be raised up. So why do we emphasize this moment? Because it's our Ebenezer. It's a spiritual thing. It's an emotional thing. It's a physical thing. Now it leads us to ask the question, how should we be baptized? For those Jews on that first day of the church in Acts 2, here's what they would have done. Have you ever wondered how they baptized 3,000 people? Well, it was right next to those mikvah baths. That's where that sermon was taken, or that took place. And I took that picture. I was standing in the same place that those people would have likely been baptized, and they would have lined up in a line at some level, and they would have walked down those steps, and they would have immersed themselves, and then come back up out of those steps, baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And so here's what we do. We are baptized by immersion. We don't make that up. It's biblical. It's in the scripture. It's the historical way baptism was taking place. And it is given to us a new weight by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Every single time we see and celebrate baptism, we should be encouraged and challenged that the Christian life is not only given by death, but it is lived through dying every single day. You and me have to die every single day. New life only comes through daily dying to self. New life only comes through the death of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. That's where it comes from. And man, we're gonna experience that over and over again in the book of Revelation. We are called to be more than conquerors when conquering is shown to only come through death. And it's a beautiful thing. And you don't get that without immersion. Like you don't get that picture of dying without immersion. And so we, we believe that to be baptized, you have to be immersed in water. Not because the water saves you, but because it's, it's entering into what God has called us to do. Second, baptism is post-faith. As we have seen, it is a confession of lordship, repentance, solidarity with Jesus and his church based upon trust or faith that has been placed in Jesus. This cannot be done before you are able to answer Jesus's call. You won't know everything? Absolutely not. None of us know everything. But at some point, you had to have some sort of childlike faith that says, I trust Jesus. I want to make Jesus my Savior, my Lord. Like when I was six years old and I was baptized in the chapel just on the other side of the narthex over there, I didn't know much of anything. But I trusted Jesus. I believed him with a childlike six-year-old faith and he has worked that out and he has completed, well, he hasn't completed. He's working on completing that which he began in me. Amen? Like, like that's what he's doing. I didn't know, you, you don't have to know everything, but you do have to have faith 
some faith, or baptism doesn't mean anything. And that's why we believe it's central, regardless of what your history is or where you come from. And this is not to try to knock on any kind of denomination that you came out of, but we believe, biblically believe, that's the reason we believe, that baptism is done by immersion and is done after we have believed in Jesus, after we have put our faith in Jesus. Because it's only then that he purifies us. It's only then that he consecrates us. It's only then that he transfers us. And it's only then that we can say he is Lord over our lives. Now, oftentimes this will inevitably lead to a question. Do I need to get rebaptized? This most often comes for those who were sprinkled as a baby or those who were baptized, but they walked away from the faith. So let me speak to that first group. If you were sprinkled as a baby, your experience was something that was done pre-faith. It may have been done by the faith of your parents, which is a beautiful thing. That's why we do child dedication here at this church, because we believe that the faith of parents is important, and we believe that when parents are asking the Lord's favor of blessing upon their kids, that that is real and is important and it is valuable. But my faith cannot be my kid's faith. Their faith has to be theirs. And you may have placed faith in Jesus later in life, in which case your salvation is in Jesus. It is not in baptism. But my encouragement to you, if you've been sprinkled as a baby and you have later decided to walk with Jesus, would be yes, walk in obedience to the command of baptism. Erect that Ebenezer in your life. Confess to all people who is over your life, who has authority over your life, whose name you are in. And allow that to be an encouragement to your faith and to the faith of those around you, the church. Now to those who were baptized, but you walked away. To you, I would say one of two things. If you were baptized with some level of knowledge of what you were doing, but you have not lived according to that, I would call you simply back to your own confession. Apply to your life today confession you already made. Remember what Jesus has done and repent and believe. If you feel in your heart that your confession was not real in that moment, so, so that, that's what I'm saying, one of two things. One, you believe your confession was real, but you've just, you've just fallen, then you don't need to go get rebaptized. You just need to walk in consistency with the confession you already made. I confessed Jesus Lord as my life when I was six years old. I can't even tell you how many times I have walked in a way that is not consistent with that confession. I don't get baptized every time, but I do get reminded every time that when I confess my sins, he is faithful and just to forgive my sins because of the work he's already accomplished. Amen. So again, if you know that your faith was there when you were baptized then just walk in consistency with your confession. Brothers and sisters, repent and believe. Confess your sins. Walk in that. But if you look back in that moment and you say, man, in my heart, that confession wasn't real. I was driven by other motivations. I didn't know what I was doing. And you want to make a new confession and you want to truly dedicate your life to him and you feel the Holy Spirit is leading you in obedience with a new understanding of baptism, I think you should consider getting baptized. But here's the thing, I don't know your heart. And baptism won't save you. 
If you're walking in sin, deal with your sin. Take it to Jesus. Walk in faithfulness. Repent and believe. And here's why I say that, because some would use baptism as a means of assurance. Your assurance should not come from baptism. Your assurance should come from your faith in the blood of Jesus to cover your sin. And for him to grant you his righteousness. And so I would ask, why do you want to get rebaptized? If the motivation is that you believe that this act is going to do something to you, I would encourage you and caution you against it. But if it is a desire to walk in obedience and to testify to the body of Christ, your desire to take up your cross daily and follow him, maybe you should be baptized. For those who don't know Jesus, I want to say this to you. He died to do something that water can never do. He died to purify you. He died to cleanse you. And you may not feel the weight of your uncleanliness before God, but one day you will. And maybe you do feel the weight of that, like Jesus died to cleanse you. Jesus died to set you apart, to make you uncommon. And some of you are running around this world trying to figure out how you can stand out and how you can be different and how you can be uncommon in the world's eyes. And so you're trying Instagram and you're trying sports and you're trying TikTok videos and all kinds of garbage. None of it will make you uncommon. Only Jesus will make you uncommon. And he can make you uncommon. He is the only one that can consecrate you to something far more beautiful and far more purposeful than anything that this life can give to you. If you have not seen it, Jesus died to trance you from the kingdom of darkness into his kingdom. But I also need you to hear this because it's part of the gospel. He also died and made a way for you to lay your way down and let him be Lord over your life. And baptism is a symbol and a reminder and a call to you to come to Jesus, to follow Jesus. Because if you don't, you're not pure. You're still unclean. And if you haven't come to Jesus, you're not in his kingdom, and there's only two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of the enemy, and there's the kingdom of Christ, of God. And you're not in the kingdom of God without going through Jesus. And you may think you're your own Lord. You're not. You are submissive to the enemy. He has you enslaved, and you don't even realize it. But Jesus can free you. And I want to encourage you to consider baptism. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes. You don't need to look around. In fact, I just want to encourage you to fight that temptation. But Christian, brother, sister, I want you to consider your baptism. And maybe you didn't realize what you were doing. But I want you to consider what we've talked about. Are you walking in faithfulness to your confession? Are you walking in the consecration that he's given to you?
Are you walking in the newness of life that he has purchased for you by his blood? Are you walking in the righteousness of Christ? Are you, are you walking with him as your Lord in every area of your life? Brother and sister, if not, repent. Turn. Believe anew. Throw off what is hindering you. Throw off what is hindering you. If you have been immersed as a believer, gaze upon the gift that God has given to you and remember his faithfulness. If you've placed your faith in him, trust in him. I'm gonna speak to those who have been sprinkled but you've never been baptized. I would simply ask you to ponder these things today. Simply ponder these things today. Do you want to walk in faithfulness to what God has called us to? It is a command for us to be baptized. And the scripture gives us the calling to that and understands not just the call or the command, but the reason behind the command. Would you step in obedience to that? If you're one today that was baptized, but you know you've walked away, I would ask you to consider what that looks like for you to step into faith with Jesus. If you are not a believer, to you I say repent and believe. Jesus died for your sins. He died to give you life. And it's not as the world gives it. It's not as the world defines it. Instead of chasing after a temporary pleasures, myriad of temporary, temporary pleasures, he offers a life that is led by him, in him, and towards an abundance that any who have followed him can speak to. Do you want him to be your Lord? Do you want him to set you apart? Do you want him to transfer you from a kingdom of light to the kingdom of darkness? Or from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light, sorry. Do you desire to be purified, cleansed once and for all? Jesus, in his blood, does all the baptism signifies. And all we have to do is come to him in faith. Confess our trust, our belief in him, that he is the son of God, that he died and he rose, and that he is Lord. Jesus is Lord. Repent and be baptized. I'm gonna just ask a question in this moment, and we're gonna move into a time of response, a time of communion, but if you're in this room, and just keep your heads, your heads bowed and your eyes closed, again, you don't, you don't need to see this, but if you're somebody in this room right now that desires to be baptized, would you just raise your hand? If that's something you desire, that's something you want, raise your hand, you just keep those up for a second. Everybody keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Like, again, nobody needs to see this. There's several of you. You can go ahead and put your hands down. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. As we get ready to take communion, we're gonna have opportunities to come up to the tables around the room, and as we begin to move around and sing a song, if you raised your hand, would you be willing to come up and talk with one of our prayer counselors and elders? Like, all they're gonna do is we've got some slips of paper over on the stairs that they can just take your name and a phone number and an email address, and we'll just contact you, and we'll just follow up with you. We're not gonna make a spectacle of anything right now. I'm not gonna call you to like go jump up on stage right now and go into the water. Like, um, but we wanna talk with you and provide an opportunity. And so would you just be bold enough, again, when everybody else is moving, to just come and talk.
And so prayer counselors, pastors, elders, if you guys would make sure you're up at the front when we come to grab communion and when we sing that last song, uh, I want us to just be available to those that raise their hand. And maybe next week we've got 30 baptisms. And if that's all we can do next week, so be it. I guess you'll have to come to church to find out. But that'd be pretty awesome. But we're gonna move into a time of communion. And as we do so, for those of you who have put your trust in Jesus Christ and you have been baptized, you've been baptized into something so beautiful because of the work of Jesus that he died for the sake of our sins. His blood was spilt for you and for me. His body was broken for you and for me. And when we come to this table, it is a symbol, just like baptism, of our confession of our trust in Jesus, not in our good works, not in how awesome we were this week or how bad we were this week. We trust in Jesus, amen? And we come and we can commune with Jesus and we've been purified by Jesus. We, have, we are blameless because of Jesus. We don't have to fear the wrath of God because of Jesus. And we come to this table because he's invited us to it. Man, I want you as a believer, relish in that, rest in that, celebrate that this morning. But if you know you're not walking in faithfulness to your confession, confess those things before you come and take of this. Lay them before the Lord. He will be faithful and just to forgive you. And as we come and take communion here in a moment, and I encourage you to, when you feel ready, to come up to one of the tables, and then Ryan will lead us in a closing song. But if you want prayer, you want to talk to somebody, come and talk to one of the prayer counselors or elders up at the front. Father, I thank you for baptism. We sang a song by Rich Mullins earlier that talked about it. It's not something that man invented. None of this is something man invented. It's too, it's too profound. It's too complex. It's too interwoven with all of the things that you've done through history. It's beautiful. And you've given us this, this thing that so often we take for granted, this moment where we can be reminded of a confession that we have made of the wonderful work you've done in our life. Lord, you have purified us by Christ. You've cleansed us. Like, like we've been cleansed totally. We're blameless. And when we fail and we fall, you are faithful and just to forgive when we come and confess those things because there is no end to the sufficiency of the blood of your son. You've, you've purified us. You've transferred us. God, if there was a day I was not one of your children, and now I am. What a glorious reality that is. Father, you are our Lord. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to the Father or comes to you except through him. And he's got all the answers. He knows how to lead us. He knows how, how to guide us and direct us and interpret your word and our lives through spirit. He knows how to, to, to lead us to abundant life and eternal life. What a glorious reality that is. Father, may your people rest in it. May we walk in the newness of life that has been given to us in Jesus Christ. And when we see people baptized God would you help us celebrate would you help us to be reminded of our own confession Father would it be a remembrance of us or to us of the work that you've done 
Father, I pray and ask these things in your name.